0: Shrinkwrap Radio number 818. Bernard Beitman, MD, on meaningful coincidences, synchronicity, and serendipity. And now it's time for Dr. Dave and Shrinkwrap
1: Radio.
2: Wrap Radio, all the psychology you need to know and just enough to make it dangerous. It's all in your head.
1: And now here's your host, Dr. Dave.
0: My guest today, Bernard Beitman, MD, claims to be the first psychiatrist since Carl Jung To systematize the study of coincidences, we will be discussing his research and his book, Meaningful Coincidences How and Why Synchronicity and Serendipity Happen. Now, here's the interview Dr. Bernard Beitman, welcome to Shrinkwrap Radio.
1: Thank you very much for for inviting me and uh, it's a delight to talk with you David because uh you and I run we run around the same ideas.
0: Yeah, I think so. I'm really I'm curious that I didn't know about you before uh before either you or your publicist reached out to me and uh and initially I thought, well, you know, who is this guy? He's they're comparing him here to uh to Carl Jung in terms of the work that he's done on synchronicity. And I thought, this could be some kind of overreaching here. But then I read your book. <laughs> I've, I've I've checked out your podcast, and I have to say I am really impressed by uh, what I think is a big part of your life's work. I mean, you, you are a psychiatrist, and so psychotherapy certainly, uh, which you continue to practice to this day, is also a major part of your life's work. Uh, But this other piece of it, and not that they're they're separate because we may touch on that, (laughs) is, um, you know, I'm I'm very impressed. Uh, So for our viewers and listeners, we're going to be discussing your book, Meaningful Coincidences, How and Why Synchronicity and Serendipity Happen. And boy, do they ever happen! I know they've happened big time in my life, and uh, and as I was reading your book, it was triggering. You know, I sent you an interview that somebody did with me about a a long series of of uh, synchronicities in my life that uh, that really have gotten my attention. Uh, but then, as I was reading your book, and you talked about different kinds of of synchronicities or coincidences, and it triggered other sort of lesser events, oh. some of which uh, fall into the different categories that you wow. raised. Uh, so yeah. so just to praise you a little bit more, I'm struck by the, um, the scientific-mindedness rigor that, that you brought to it. Um, Thank you. Thank it, you. Seems, it seems clear to me on the one hand that uh, I'd have to say you don't seem like, quotes, a skeptic on the one hand. On the other hand, you seem to have done everything you could to kind of lean over backwards to, to do your work, to make it impeccable, and to keep all possibilities open. And so I, I really respect that. Thank you. Uh, and, and I'm impressed by the energy and the, the detail that you brought into con- uh, collecting a wide variety of reports from an incredible array of sources and uh, also you've created a unique taxonomy to organize them all uh, so it's it's really quite quite a, uh, a a bunch of work that you've done here so how did you first become interested in what most of academia regarded and still regards as being beyond the pale
1: well first is always hard to describe and uh, I I first got interested without knowing I was interested when I lost my dog, and I got lost, and we found each other. And that was when I was eight or nine. And another time when I was um, choking uncontrollably in San Francisco, uh, I couldn't get the thing out of my throat. And um, the next day, my brother calls and said our father had died uh, on blood in his throat, choking to death on his own blood. And that happened around the same time I was choking, and that was 3,000 miles away. Yeah. Besides that, he died on my birthday. So it was like uh, these are the two major um, impacts. And I dedicate my book to both Snapper, my dog, and Carl Beitman, my father, because they are the two people in my family that got me going in this direction.
0: <laughs> and you credit your dog as being one of the people?
1: Oh, yes. Uh-huh. I mean, we, he was my best friend, man. I mean, you, you know that boy and his dog. I mean, you, they're like, he he understood me, I understood him. I didn't know that he's supposed to be something different from me. Uh, I just huh. knew he didn't talk.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, what did you make of that experience, if you have any recollection, at age eight? Uh, you know, what did you make of that experience of uh, – uh, Let's see, you lost him. And he, did- he,
1: he, re- he disappeared from my house. Uh, when I came back uh, to the house, uh, my mother said, uh, I don't know where he is, because um, uh, I was expecting him to be in the yard, as he usually is, and he wasn't there. So she said, why don't you go to the police station and see if you can find him? And I remembered quite vividly going to the police station and going, parking my bike and asking this big man on a big desk have you seen my dog and then he started crying i started crying (laughs) he 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 should have started crying i started crying and uh, i was really distraught i mean i needed that boy i need i'll start crying again because i needed him so much and and i really missed him so i went back down the stairs and got my bike but instead of going across the big street that i came on i just kept pedaling along the big street and it was just crying uh and i wasn't thinking about anything except how deeply i missed him and coming towards me there he was and he climbs up on my kind of languidly on my leg as if to say where have you where have you been Uh (laughs) uh-huh So we went home. He made four turns to find me. I made uh, one wrong turn to find him. So it, it taught me about uh, Rex Stanford's uh, PMIR, uh, the psi mediated Instrumental Responses, which has good research in it. Uh, he was the head of the Parapsychology Association for a while about how we use psi information to get where we need to be without knowing consciously or rationally how we got there yeah so that opened me up to pmir which i call now human or internal gps but that was it years later i could do that what you asked me about my dog what i remember i remember a lot of it i mean i can re- i can feel what i felt then still and i still do each time i tell this story because Meaningful coincidences are often extremely personally relevant.
0: Did Did you have any feeling of uh, of being special? That's, that something special and unusual had just happened to you. And you know, was this in any way like uh, Joseph Campbell talks about the call? Did you have any sense that uh, this was marking your life? Not in a then. Special way. Not. Not,
1: not then. then. It yeah. would, it, how it marked my life was the way an 8 or 9 nine-year-old boy and his dog marks his life. He was back with me. We could be together again. Yeah. That's what For, it marked. That's what it was. He, we, we were together again, and we could go do our stuff, like go find turtles in the forest. <laughs>
0: Okay. And you introduced the word psi here. I just want everybody to be on the same page with us. Psi is a term in parapsychology to refer to uh, the broad range of psychic phenomena, uh, the whole kit and caboodle. And so it's a, a really useful, useful term. And you mentioned the the synchronistic event of your choking in, the, in San Francisco, which I live near. i Trying not to take responsibility for that it was years ago, <laughs> but uh, but that 's sort of a classic example uh, going back to the literature of parapsychology. I remember that Louisa Ryan did something similar to what you 've done in trying to call the wife of the famous j b Ryan parapsychology guy. And uh, she ran ads in in, in newspapers, I think, around the country uh, asking, you know, what sorts of psi experiences people had had. And uh, one of the things that emerged out of that was that there were many reports of, like, sons being killed in battle. And at that same moment, the mother woke up, you know. Uh, terribly distraught, uh, and just so many stories like that yeah. that it, it it really illustrates a whole category of uh, kinds of of synchronicity that um, that's very compelling. And in my own teaching, I would often raise. I taught a class for many years called Myth, Dream, and Symbol. Oh, also in the early seventies, I actually taught a class on parapsychology, which I you know, pretty unusual in a state-funded college.
1: Where where were you you teaching
0: at? Sonoma State University, that's what it came came to be called, where I taught for about 35 years. And um, so at any rate, about any time I ask people and various talks and so on, you know, raise your hands if you've had some kind of experience that maybe strikes you as psychic and so many hands go up, and so many people have a story, you know. And it's so it's hard to just throw all that away and discount it and say, "Oh, these people are all deluded," or, you know, it's just statistical chance. And, uh, and you know, so I uh, <clears throat> that was a convincing kind of experience for me well, to just bad. discover how many people.
1: Have those experiences. And, yes, so, and,
0: and they know this to them. It's pointless that we have these kinds of conversations. Like, they're going, duh.
1: <laughs> well, some of us need to have uh, us apparently smart, well-educated guys to say, yeah, duh. But also, other people have these experiences, not just you. Yeah. So, uh, the this feeling of the pain of a loved one at a distance, uh, I gave a name, simulpathity. Yeah. Uh, the feeling of the pain of a loved one at a distance. And the reason I had to do that is because there was an original word for sympathy. It was called telepathy. Telepathy is feeling at a distance. Tele at a distance, telepathy, uh-huh. pathy is feeling. But telepathy became more cognitive, more right. about ideas and maybe images. So sympathy is a replacement for the old definition of telepathy. And part of what I wanted to do is what you were doing and saying in your classroom. How many? Pe- I wanted to know how many people are experiencing what kinds of coincidences with what kind of frequency. Right. So I, I was taking the null hypothesis that it's like, um, well, nobody's doing it. It's just my craziness and the few reports I hear. And so I organized a research team in uh, in two thousand six to put together uh, what turned out to be a valid and reliable scale called the Weird Coincidence Survey to, prob- to answer the questions of what are the most common coincidences and what is the frequency by which they happen. And included in there was feeling the pain or distress of a loved one at a distance. And the answer quite commonly was sometimes. So it confirmed what I knew from my own experience. It confirmed... Ian Stevenson's work on telepathic impressions, which he's done here at the University of Virginia, where where I am. And then the the Louisa Rine information that you just described and others, where people do that, and it seems so strange. But, I mean, it's funny, David, that that's the original definition of telepathy that we're talking about.
0: Yeah, yeah. And um, so you mentioned the... the Instrument that you developed. What what were those initials again? The weird uh,
1: coincidence survey. WCS. If yeah. anybody, if ever you, if you want to find out how sensitive you are to criticism, excuse me, to criticism. That's me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: we're not. It's a good about thing that. there are no therapists here to that's jump right, on that. I, <laughs> I did
1: that slip again. I'm also I have abandonment <laughs> issues, and they may come out too. But how sensitive you are to how sensitive you are to coincidences! You can take the weird coincidence survey on my website. The website is coincider.com, c-o-n-i-c c-o-n c-o-i-n-c-i-d-e-r, coincider, and that co- a coincider is someone who experiences coincidences, not just an experiencer. A coincider, coincider.com, and you can see. You can go to the, to the latter part of the website and find the weird coincidence survey and take the survey and get some estimate of how, how sensitive you are to coincidences. And people are correct to say it's not a perfect instrument. I have rated low when I'm really high. We couldn't get them all, but we, we got a, a lot of them. And, f- for example, what would you say, David, is are uh, some of the most common meaningful coincidences?
0: Uh, most common. Well, the the one we talked about, you know, where with a a, a, rel- a relative, some kind of connection, either between twins, identical twins, or siblings, or people in the family, and there's research, as you know, that shows that the emotional connection seems to be an important uh, component. Not only the connection to the person, but also an emotional event seems to give it more of a charge that it's going to break through time and distance, if you will. Yes.
1: Well said. I mean, I like the way you said that because you almost had an image in mind of how the emotion breaks through on time and distance. That's that's a beautiful concept that you were just describing.
0: Oh, thank you. Um, So you, so many ways you reached out to gather this material you have a podcast in which you've invited people who uh, who also have studied these phenomena. Um, and uh, I listened to your podcast yesterday, and uh, I kicked myself because you had sent me information about it, but somehow I was into the book and I was into other things. And then when I listened to the podcast, I was so impressed by the way you conducted the interview, Thank your you. own personal intensity around this, your your presence that you bring to it. And um, so you've solicited from friends, you've, you've had a radio show where you invite people to c- uh, call in with, with their experiences. So far and wide, you've reached out. Now, you created, as I said, a kind of taxonomy. I don't remember them off the top of your my head. I'm hoping you do. What are the, categories, the I figured, categories? It took
1: me a few minutes to figure them out, yes.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, the, the major categories that of common use, the categories commonly used, uh, the two most common are uh, synchronicity and uh, serendipity. And that's why the book is called Meaningful Coincidences, how and why synchronicity and serendipity happen. And it's the first book that I know of that has tried to put serendipity and synchronicity under the umbrella of meaningful coincidences. Because as, as you may know, there's a Venn diagram of definitions there that a lot of people call a synchronicity a serendipity and some people call a serendipity a synchronicity. And I said they're both meaningful coincidences. What underlies them became what I wanted to do in one of the chapters in the book after that. But those are the two major categories that people tend to use when they see, experience a, a meaningful coincidence. But there are two others that are important as well, and simultaneity is one, as we've talked about, but less hidden is uh, seriality. Uh, Paul Kammerer, in 1919, wrote a book, uh, The Law of Ser- Seriality, Das Gets a Seriality, in German, and he was looking at not mind-object coincidences, very much like Jung's scarab, which we can talk about if you would like, where where the patient had a dream about a scarab and Jung went to his window and found one that looked like the scarab in her dream. Right. So, mind-matched environment. There was mind and object. And those are probably the most common kinds of coincidences. But there are, the, there are like any of you who uh, Follow baseball. Uh, Aaron Judd of the New York Yankees uh, hits his 61st home run um, as Roger Maris had hit 61 in 1961. And Judd hit his judge hit his home run 61 years after Roger Maris had hit his 61st in 1961. So there are three 61s in a row. Yeah. All yeah. In, all coming together. And that's an example of seriality. They're all objective events that anyone can see, not mental. Everybody sees them out there.
0: Yeah. And when you encounter those in the newspaper or somewhere, you know, every now and then some amazing series of uh, of stuff around Abraham Lincoln, I think. uh, And
1: and John Kennedy. Yeah, that's one of the favorite ones. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Let me tell you my John Kennedy story.
1: Please, please, please.
0: Um, and it, it must fit into one of your categories, and I'm not sure which one.
1: Well, let's see.
0: Okay, so here I am, young adult, probably in my mid 30s, early 40s, somewhere in there. I was also, I had a side career of market research, interviewing people, doing qualitative research. So I think I was in Texas for a market research project. And uh, I'm driving a rental car and um, I'm in Dallas, but I'm not consciously thinking about Kennedy or anything to do with that. And I get an impulse to pull over, and find a place to park. That's just... important that impulse let
1: me highlight underline okay. and put yeah. put brilliant lights around it. Okay. that impulse is so important in the creation of meaningful coincidences, to be able to follow that impulse, to believe in it. I've had people at a stop sign or a stoplight feeling an impulse to not go yet and having a truck come across that intersection, even though it was a green light for him and the red light for the truck. Those impulses can be life-saving. So thank you for mentioning that. Please go on.
0: Yeah, well, I had this impulse to p- park, pull over, got out of my car, and it turned out that right around the corner was the grassy knoll, the famous grassy knoll where a shooter might have been, it was thought, and uh, and the the book depository across the street. That had not been in my mind at all now it's possible that maybe subliminally i saw a sign or something but i you know i wasn't aware of it then i'm not aware of it now it just felt like boy i was led to pull over and here's the you know the we were talking about emotional charge so here's this highly charged emotional event for the not just for me but for the whole nation the whole world and i just was led boom to be there so that stands out. What category does that fall into?
1: Well, that's psi-mediated instrumental response or human GPS, where you feel the the, the need to go that way instead of where you were the way you were going. It's a perfect example of can incl- involving information you already had because you kind of knew you were in Dallas, uh, and there was like stuff around you. You had some some background information. But you could register through Psi meets through Psi, that is knowing stuff you wouldn't otherwise know by regular senses, that there was something there that could be meaningfully important to you. And so that made the impulse have you go to that direction.
0: Yeah. And I love your term uh, G- human GPS. Yes. Because I feel like in many ways my life has been directed by by human GPS Without any particular intent to have my life go that way, but it it just has. Yes, I'm gonna,
1: as a, I'm, yes.
0: I'm going to give you another example, which will probably be a different kind of category. All right, because, go for it. <sighs> here we are with our, all of our computer paraphernalia and all, and for me, that's kind of fits into my. Personal history quite a bit. I was an amateur radio operator. Uh, I uh, was very, I got accepted into college as an electrical engineer, although I switched out early on. Uh, so I've always had this affinity to technology and mechanical things. Okay. So a friend of mine's dryer was broken, clothes dryer. And I said, well, let me fiddle with it. And before I, you know, and to fiddle with it, I would have to get it out of its shell, you know, of, of all the stuff that a dryer has got. You, you got to get unscrew things and so on to get at it to see what's going on inside. But somehow, I hadn't. I don't often get pictures or really strong mental images. So I don't know whether to describe it as visual or just a kind of knowing. But before I cracked into that thing, I just had this image of, oh, there's a wire that's come off of the little tab, the thing that's supposed to slide onto a metal tab to connect one thing to another in there. And there must be one of those connected to the door to to turn the dryer off. That switch, and when I dug down into into it, that's what I found out it was, and was able to fix the dryer magically quickly by just hooking up that little thing on the door switch. So,
1: and I've heard a story of a woman who visited her 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 sister in the in the hospital who had had a stroke, and. Doctors didn't know what to do about it, and uh, she, the woman, the sister, had an image of her ill sister, her sister's brain, and did something just like what you did. She could see the little balloon of an aneurysm. In the brain and able to describe where it was. This is before they could do wow. uh, MRIs. Yeah. So she could visualize the problem just the way you did. I don't have a name for this yet, but it's a meaningful coincidence in that your mind matches the reality. Uh, it's it's a it's a mind object coincidence which you could call serendipity or synchronicity, but it's more than that because I encourage you and I encourage our listeners to recognize that each of us has some psychic ability that's probably a little special compared to some other people. They're maybe called superpowers, but I prefer not to do that anymore because we have these powers. They're part of the human condition that we haven't tapped into. And what I'm trying to do is encourage people through the telling of meaningful coincidences like your story to keep in mind that if you happen to David Van Nuys... Then it happens to other people, and it could be you, that you can have a kind of X-ray vision into a a closed area that you shouldn't be able to see. But you can get an image of it, and, and match that image matches with the reality of what you have to do right now, what you need to be able to fix or somebody else needs to. We have abilities like that. And whether it's only only once that it happens to you, it happened to you once. Therefore, you do have the ability under the right conditions to be able to be like Superman and have X-ray vision to see what you need to be able to do.
0: Well, I would say I have a rapport with things. And uh, so there's certain things that to me are numinous. I love this Jungian word, numinous, which I take to mean... Uh, charged with some kind of psychic energy right. that that it seems to have a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of meaning and significance contained in it that you can't always describe and somehow I, this came up in a Jungian workshop that I attended where a Jungian analyst was doing a presentation on typology and uh, I've always struggled a bit with the whole typology that that part of the Jungian model um but and i don't remember what i shared that brought that up but he he said oh you're a sensation type and there was a way in which in the jungian thing that's almost at least that's how i was seeing it at the time
2: you're right felt, you're right what it, are you going to say it is it right it felt yeah. like
0: a put down you know it was it, <laughs> it was, was like it, it felt that way it was delivered that way and it was it was It was like hey buddy any any thoughts or ambitions you might have had to become a a, a, a Jungian analyst? Forget about it.
1: You're out. Yeah. So
0: <laughs> so that stands out for me, and and so I have these some objects like knives. I have a collection of pocket knives. You know, I could go into it, the meaning, etc. But and also pocket watches. That was another thing. You can but, see inside
1: pocket watches.
0: Yeah. No, you no, can't. no, I cannot see inside them. I just, uh, for a while, they just had a lot of numinosity for me. And I think, I think partly it was because it reminded me of my grandfather. I think he must have had one, and it was a sort of tie into a kind of masculine, you know, connection.
1: Yeah, that's, um, that's where the image triggers uh, an emotion. What you described with the dryer is more than that. It's an affinity, yeah, but you knew how to fix that baby you you were able to see it. Have you had other experiences where you could see inside a machine?
0: Probably, uh, not as dramatically as that. But, you know, I, I suspected backyard mechanics and, you know, I used to have VW buses and you had to get under there and use a feeler gauge to adjust the valves and things like that. And um, I think that... Um, I suspect that backyard mechanics and real mechanics, probably some of them, have that without having articulated that to themselves. But I, would be, that. I would be surprised. You know, they they'll have a, a kind of a knowing. Uh, you know, of what's going on there.
1: Some people have uh, what I'm going to describe. Uh, like when they get really um emotional and Joe Cambry, a Jungian therapist, a lot of other people may know, and I had an interview about how on Zoom sometimes and particularly with old Skype when the when the discussion became emotional, uh the signal became weaker. So huh. that we couldn't really talk. So the emotion influences the functioning of the machine. And that happened to me when I was on my way to the Get my computer fixed at Best Buy. I was really frustrated, oh, yeah. and I had a six-track stereo, a six-track CD player, on my in my car then, and it kept flipping, it flip <laughs> kept flipping CDs. It wouldn't yeah. stay on one. It kept flipping them around, and it did that until I got calmed down and the computer got fixed.
0: Yeah. Yeah. One thing I want to touch on, because I know it's of special interest to you and that there are many psychotherapists who listen to this show or people who are planning to be psychotherapists, coaches, et cetera, about the intersection or the role of the kind of thing that we're talking about, psi, synchronicity, in the therapeutic relationship. Uh, what have you found in relation to that?
1: Well, early on in my training... A Jungian third year resident walked in. I was a psychiatry resident at Stanford, and down the street from you, and I, I a guy walks in and says, "Your problems walk into your office." I said, <laughs> said, well, I said "Say what?" <laughs> he, said, well, he was
0: illustrating the, it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was I didn't get that right. No, yeah, he that was illustrating. It. <laughs> He was a problem that I needed to solve, and one of the key findings of Jungian therapists is just that. It's not just being a therapist, though. It's being a coach. It's being a lot of different things you're trying to help people, because so much of what happens with coincidences are mirrors of our own minds, our minds are mirrored by the people and events around us. And the wonderful thing about coincidences like that, which I call mind object coincidences, is they show how much our minds are connected to our environment and particularly to the psyches of those who somehow are drawn to us as therapists. There's good work by, uh, by Jungian therapists in San Francisco. Uh, uh named Tarnas, not Rick, his wife, who uh Yvonne's her name, Yvonne Tarnas, about called it's called Faded Fated, fated meet, Meetings. Fated Meetings. Yeah, yeah. I don't mean fated meetings. Meaning for her research for her PhD, she studied not only herself but other people as therapists who during the first session got histories from their patient in that first interview that directly mirrored the therapist's own past histories experience. This happened with some regularity, and it's one variation on how your problems walk into your office.
0: Yeah, I know many therapists who, not necessarily of a Jungian persuasion, who say that, you know, is that... uh, <clears throat> that there seems to be a principle at work where people draw to them the very kinds of uh, issues that they need to work work on in themselves or are working on in themselves, and that they just, there seems to be a magnet that draws them in. And,
1: well, there's a there's a principle right there, David, that I would like to slowly enunciate uh, that I illustrate in my my book. Um, That what you are seeking is also seeking you.
0: Uh huh. I like that. Yeah, I like that. Because I think of, uh, I'm sure you had this experience in writing your book. I think uh, so many people who write books or other kinds of big projects find that the universe suddenly starts providing them with the very stuff that they need to put together their book or their argument or whatever it is they're trying to develop. I know I've had that
1: experience. Why why do you say universe? And what do you mean?
0: Well, I can't detail it with any great uh, detail, but, and it's kind of a a cliche, I think, people use these days, at least in our circles. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, very common. Yeah, that the universe, you know, put it out in the universe. Put it out. And if you're looking for something, put it out in the universe. I have another great story about that.
1: Please hold on to that story because okay. what you just said is so very important in all of what I'm trying to say. As a therapist, uh, I'm not interested in so much in the mystery that the word universe Implies. I'm very interested in unfolding the mystery and discovering what else is out there. That's part of the fun of meaningful coincidences to see what, what else is happening out there. But I'm a therapist and I want to see personal responsibility in creating meaningful coincidences. That's what we do as therapists is saying, okay, a lot of this stuff happened, but what did you have to do with it? Because that's all you have in your office is what that person can do him or herself. So I try to be able to elucidate the multiple ways in which people contribute to the creation of meaningful coincidences always keeping in mind there's a mystery which the word universe or consciousness or god suggests i keep in mind probability or random chance because there's always a probability of a particular coincidence taking place we may not be able to define that probability very clearly but it's there so there's a probability and there's a mystery. But in between is you and me, David, and the people listening and watching us. What did you have to do with creating this coincidence?
0: Yeah. To me, that's one of the interesting ideas in your book that I never really thought about from that angle that, um, that we can play a role in terms of drawing these kinds of experiences to ourselves uh, in this particular example, I mentioned my grandfather, who was a good male role model for me of uh you know uh, and um, so after he died one one of the f- mementos that I had from him was his stetson hat. Um, Made by Stetson, and uh, not not a cowboy hat, but more of a, more like men used to wear hats in the '40s and so on, one of those hats. And somehow it may have been from a movie where I got this idea, but I decided I wanted to, I wanted to have a rattlesnake headband for this hat, and so I. As I looked into it, you know try I found out that it was against the law to buy or sell rattlesnake skins in the state of California as protected species. And I thought, "Oh, darn, I was <laughs> this was my plan." But I'd kind of put it out to some of my friends, and you know, hey, this is what I'm looking for." One of the friends I put it out to uh, the wife of uh, of a colleague who was uh, uh, who was big into tarot and did tarot readings at the Renaissance fairs and so on. So she has a flag that she puts out of her tent, which shows uh, a snake going up a staff, kind of symbol, and. Um, one day I come back from wherever I had been and my wife says, Oh, Cooch came by and uh, she uh, she left a, rattlesn- a dead rattlesnake for you and uh, it's in the freezer. And so here was this rattlesnake in my freezer, now frozen rattlesnake, <coughs> as a gift. So I'd, I hadn't purchased it or anything. And the story was that Cooch went into her washing room. They live in the country, went where the washing machine was, and there was a fully coiled rattlesnake there. You know, it totally freaked her out, called her husband, and I think got a shovel, and they chopped its head off. Um, And then she remembered, oh, David wanted a rattlesnake. And so that's how I got the rattlesnake. I then studied up on it, learned how to how to tan it, and uh, created a—it wasn't—I I was sort of thinking, okay, this is going to be my shaman's hat in, in a way. And uh, I realized, well, I, I'm not a very powerful shaman because this is a pretty small rattlesnake. It wasn't the big, bold rattlesnake I was envisioning but I found a way to by wrapping it around another piece of leather and so on to to make it happen. I have that. I could have brought it out to show you. Well, but, but that was uh putting it out to the universe and it
1: happened. You didn't put it out to the universe. You asked somebody.
0: Probably you, more than more than one person. I probably put it out to, you know, a bunch of my friends. You
1: ask a bunch of people. Yeah. That's not putting it out to the universe. It's putting it out to your social circle. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just try to get a little more concrete. Uh, and, you know, there was maybe some probability uh, of that rattlesnake appearing and uh, uh, where the washing machine was. I can't estimate that, but there had to be some. But then there was. A, there's a little mysterious part of this that you might be calling the universe that how did the rattlesnake show up during a period of time when you were interested in it? And that was that has to do with the power of imagining. Uh, the Earth is being destroyed now by humanity as we are greedily eating up all of its resources and creating all kinds of problems. And with it, a lot of people are imagining a catastrophic future, uh, which seems like the inevitable thing happening. But what we need to do is come together as a species, recognizing we are a collective human organism and that we can find our role as you have a role and I have a role in trying to work together as a cell in this collective human organism and try then to begin imagining, not just imagining, but begin imagining a better future and then using that imagination to see what needs to happen to help create what we want and then act. It's not enough to imagine it and then act in ways that will mitigate the the catastrophe that we are creating. So in a larger sense, I am saying we need to become emboldened to create uh, the snake around the head because the snake around the head is also a symbol of wisdom. A snake is a symbol of wisdom in many cultures. And putting it around your head like this is a way of trying to increase your own wisdom in some kind of mythological ways of thinking. And we need to do that as humanity, what you just did, to imagine a future that we're all part of, to which we're all contributing to maybe make something different happen from the direction we're going.
0: I love the way you wove all of that together. <laughs> and uh and certainly that's been a a theme that I've been very concerned about and other people are very concerned about uh and often concluded these interviews asking uh my guests to, you know, how are they dealing with this situation that this worldwide situation that we're being confronted with and and uh
1: well, let me they, add, let me yeah. add a little bit to that because yeah. um, I I have at the end near the end of my book this personal postscript about this collective human organism, and I'm trying to be able to find I am finding other people who are beginning to imagine a better future yeah. who also share the idea of a collective human organism or have some idea about that. Yes, we're all in this together. And I am of the opinion that meaningful coincidences show us how we're all connected, as we've talked about earlier. And so we need to know our own special capacity, like the ability to see inside a washing machine or dryer, and more than that, as well as how we fit in with the whole rest of humanity, because... I'm a therapist, you're a therapist. One of the biggest, if not the biggest problems we got in this world is we don't get along with each other. We get into too many fights with each other. And we need to be able to find a way to recognize our differences. How many times have you heard that? And also find our commonalities. Our differences are our innate capacities that can help. Our commonalities are we're all in this together, and we fit somehow together in creating a better humanity and and Gaia, better Earth.
0: Yes, I like that that uh, concept. That say it again. It was three letters in the book. Uh, the human
1: C H O collective. C-H-O. Collective human organism.
0: Yeah, so it's a it's an alternative to, to the universe, and more. Uh, and it's more about about us, and our responsibility in this situation, and that we can take some ownership, and have a role to play.
1: That's what we do as therapists, isn't it, David? Yeah, so I'm blaming it on everybody
0: else. Try to orient the person yeah to uh to begin to see that, yeah yeah, same thing yeah in in your book you've got some um good examples of uh from your own th- therapy practice right of a moment of uh intense connection there was one one that you tell where you and your client are laughing your heads off. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that could be a good place for us to wind down. <laughs> but
1: it, it's laughter is good medicine, uh, as we learned in Reader's Digest a long time ago. Yeah. It, it still is, and uh, to be able to laugh with someone a lot helps bond the relationship. And one of the ways this happened with me and one of my patients was, uh, I I like trying to be like. Uh, rock and roll star sometimes i mean i don't think i'll make it uh in this way but i i mean you give me a chance to like do a little song and dance here and uh, i'm a song and dance kind of guy but this is all verbal so but i like to dance and i like to sing so uh i got these blue framed glasses they're kind of like on an electric blue okay um,
0: yeah.
1: And i, I like, really like them and i have this one patient who, who we've had a lot of fun with she was living in the spirit world when she came into me and wanted to stay there. So she tried to commit suicide with a lot of blood uh, smashing up her bedroom. Uh, She was about 22 or 23, and she was a beautiful spirit. And we connected very well. And uh, she didn't even remember, as we ended therapy, her living in the spirit world. I certainly did, but she didn't remember that. So one day I came into the office just to play around. I wanted to show off my glasses to her. So I, my I was turning around. I'm getting was, a picture
0: of Elton John in my head.
1: You got it right. Yeah, you got it right. He, he's were his, his were bigger than mine, but that, <laughs> that they were. It was the same idea. So I was looking away from her. She was over there. I turned around to show her my glasses like that. And for the first time in thirty sessions, she's wearing glasses herself. She hadn't done that before. So we both just laughed and laughed about. The fact that we were doing glasses together, and she said, to go back to your JFK, Don F. Kennedy experience, she said, I felt the urge to wear my glasses today. And you could call it precognitive, because it was, but it was something. And there we were, and we just laughed. And what did it mean to us that we were seeing things the same way?
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And you said it wasn't long after that that she terminated.
1: She came in one day (laughs) and said, I got good news. I said, what's that? She says, I don't need to come here anymore. And I was, like, (laughs) devastated for a minute uh, because I really liked her. uh, And she had gotten it together and said, Dr. Biteman, you did a good job. Thank you. And she left.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) Wow. Yes, yes. Is there anything more that you'd like to say as we wrap it up here? Any, any uh, important ideas that, uh, that we did manage to get in?
1: Yeah, um, it's, it's such a pleasure talking to a, another mental health professional and hopefully some other people out there. And I would like to get the message out that having a bunch of meaningful coincidences does not mean you're crazy. And maybe the, our listeners don't think that way, but the, the majority of mental health people start hearing coincidences from their patients and they want to send them to a psychiatrist and get them on antipsychotics. And that, not a good idea. Uh, you've got to, there are some circumstances in which an overload of coincidences means mania or schizophrenia, some form of psychosis. No question about that. There's a borderline, and I've interviewed a, a guy, a psychiatrist, who was manic and needed pills. And he, during his manic phase, saw a lot of coincidences. But he also saw a lot of meaning in them. And I've had some people who just see, have a lot of coincidences, and we work on trying to help them understand what that coincidence, those coincidences mean to them, because coincidences are like dreams. They have a lot of information in them about you and about your patient. Mm-hmm. So look at them like dreams. See what you can find in them that can be helpful to your patients.
0: I'm glad you brought that up, because it was one of the things I wanted to ask you about, I think you've just answered it, but um, it was, you know, are there dangers around synchronicities? And part partly why that was a sensitive issue for me was, you know, I get really excited about synchronicity and its role in my life. And a listener, possibly a therapist, I'm not sure, seemed like a wise person, has sent me a, an email commentary years ago kind of with a caution saying be careful about getting so excited about synchronicity and i wasn't sure well what's this you know why is this person pouring water on my on my excitement my interest here but i think you've kind of articulated pretty well that it can be one can get Overly attached and carried away, and it could be part of a manic uh, distortion.
1: And let me add, because that's such a good point, is that often, or sometimes, having even a, some coincidences makes the person feel grandiose. Yeah, makes the person feel powerful, like I'm so special. And if if there's any message that we can get across to people listening is if you've had some meaningful coincidences, particularly what seem weird ones, someone else has, is, or will have them. And I like to have people challenge me with stories that I haven't heard before. And occasionally that happens, but there's a lot of them. And I've learned through a lot of experience, like that word "simpathy," I was telling you about. I said, oh, well, I came up with this word, 2014, and I looked in 2016. There hadn't been any simopathy on the Internet, on Google, but now in 2016, there was the word simopathy. Someone was using it for the title of a little, a little movie he had done. So I found him on Facebook. <laughs> And uh, contacted him. It turned out the movie was very much about feeling the pain of a loved one at a distance. So it was the same definition. Uh-huh. So I said, "Where'd you come up with that? Have you heard of me?" Or says he says, "Nope, never heard of you." Yeah. Independent simultaneous discoveries is a very important thing that happens in the world of invention, ideas, right. and uh, Nobel- and uh, Nobel Prize winning things. Many instances i got plenty of stories of those, but the important thing for our viewers, and maybe for you, is that if you're experiencing something that seems really far out and groovy, which it could be for you, it doesn't mean you're the only one. In fact, it means other people are also experiencing something like this.
0: Okay. Well, uh, very exciting to me to meet you and discover uh, the (laughs) simulpathity <laughs> of you and your work and in my sense of what it's all about and uh, that there's a good uh, uh, amount of commonality there Thank so, you, it's yeah, good Dr. to meet you
1: yeah. and, feel, and feel a kindred spirit, so it's really lovely Yes,
0: I agree uh, So Dr. Bernard Beitman, thank you for being my guest today on Shrinkwrap Radio
1: You're very, very welcome, David, thank you
0: my own long-standing interest in synchronicity, I'm amazed that before my interview with Bernard Beitman, M.D., I was unaware of his significant contributions to the study of synchronicity. Among other things, he's the author of the very authoritative book, Meaningful Coincidences, How and Why Synchronicity and Serendipity Happen. He also is a psychiatrist who continues his many years of practicing psychotherapy. His two great passions have been psychotherapy and the study of synchronicity. And he'd be quick to point out that these are not mutually exclusive. Inasmuch as there have been powerful moments of synchronicity between him and his patients, and over the years, his patients have added to his large and ever-growing collection of stories about synchronicity. Other contributions to that collection come from his wide reading of both the scientific and popular literature, stories gathered from his radio show on the topic, his podcast interviews connecting with coincidence, and his own research using the scale he developed and validated, the WCS, or Weird Coincidence Survey. All of this has culminated in an ongoing study group, which he has dubbed the Coincidence Project. Wow, did I mention he's also a very engaging personality? We hit it off in a big way. He's very lively and interactive. It was fun for us to discover that we've traveled in similar circles and hold similar beliefs about the importance and significance of synchronicity. In our interview, we experience simulpathity, a term he has coined which connotes both the sense of psychic and empathic connection. Whether you talk about it as synchronicity, coincidence, serendipity, or psychic phenomena, we both agree that it's important to bring a scientific approach to these phenomena while honoring the mystery. In his writing, he's put it marvelously, saying, quote, Coincidences are clues to the mysterious hiding in plain sight. Close quote. I highly recommend. Meaningful Coincidences, How and Why Synchronicity and Serendipity Happen. In the promo material I was sent about it, they say, quote, Through a complete catalog of coincidence patterns with numerous illustrative examples, Dr. Beitman clarifies the relationship between synchronicity and serendipity and dissects the anatomy of a coincidence. He defines coincidence types through their two fundamental constituents, mental events and physical events. He analyzes the many uses of meaningful coincidences as well as their potential problems, emphasizing that synchronicity and serendipity, though most often positive, also have their shadow sides. Detailing how to record your experiences, he explains how you will see patterns guiding your life decisions and learn to expect that coincidences are more likely to occur during life stressors high emotion and strong need which helps you be ready to use them when they occur Close quote. "to my mind this is a pioneering work that deserves a lasting and important place alongside of jung's contribution on synchronicity" At the risk of losing your attention to my own podcast, I also strongly recommend my new friend's podcast, Connecting with Coincidence. He brings his lively presence, curiosity, and intensity to these interviews.
2: Hi, Dave. It's Heiko from Germany. I work in a violence counseling center as a psychologist and psychotherapist in Düsseldorf, and I Graduated from university more than twenty years ago, so I'm always on the lookout for new perspectives and new developments in psychotherapy and psychology, and so I discovered your Wise Counsel podcast several years ago, and it made me feel like I was sitting in in the lecture hall in university again, and I liked it very much. Uh, I decided to follow your Shrink Rep Radio podcast, and when a topic comes along that it seems of interest to me, like recently Dr. Rumanier on deliberate practice, I listen to it and mostly I, I very much enjoy it. And so I think it's only decent if I like it, that I contribute to the cost and reward your efforts you have with it. You offer this, this guilt-free option. It's only $12 a year. I mean, it's almost nothing, so I decided to rid myself of my guilt and be decent and pay something for the enjoyment you give me with your podcasts. Thank you very much for your efforts, and I hope you will keep them coming.
0: Thank you, Psychotherapist Heiko in Dusseldorf. Thanks for taking the step to make yourself part of the paying Shrinkwrap Radio community. And of course, thank you to all you other monthly supporters. Once again, time to shrink-wrap it up. Thanks again to today's guest, Bernard Beitman, M.D., author of the book Meaningful Connections, How and Why Synchronicity and Serendipity Happen. It was great to discover how much we share. And thanks to him for being a delightful and authoritative guest. Next week, my guest will be Deborah Korn, PsyD, co-author of the book EMDR, Every memory deserves respect, the proven trauma therapy with the power to heal. I hope you'll join us then. And until next time, this is Dr. Dave reminding you to be kind to yourselves, others, and our precious earth.
2: You've been shrink-wrapped by Dr. Dave. All the psychology you need to know and just enough to make you dangerous.